I invite your attention to the reading of God's Word from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who was talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, When they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. This is the reading from God's Word. Well, good morning. Well, the very first time that I ever came to San Angelo, Texas, was in February of 2016 to meet with the Johnson Street elders and ministers, staff, about a year and a half ago. And uh, a lot has taken place in that year and a half. And today is the last time that I'll be standing in front of you preaching uh, with great anticipation of what is in store for Johnson Street. In, those, in that 18 months, I've come to realize a, a lot about Johnson Street. It has an incredible past. For over 100 years, the gospel has been proclaimed, and life and community has been lived out here. And I've come to deeply appreciate that history, that legacy. And I'm also very impressed with the present, with the staff, the strong staff that is here at Johnson Street and your good and wise elders that uh, provide shepherding and care for this church. And I believe very clearly and firmly about the future of this church. Not merely about Scott and Shelley Allen, though I am very excited about their coming to be a part of this church. Uh, it's, a, it's a good fit. And I look forward to seeing how their life and your life will come together and unfold uh, in the days and months and years ahead. But most of all, and I want you to hear me clearly here, I believe in the bright and promising future of Johnson Street because God is at work in this place. And what God began, that great work that God began among you over a hundred years ago, he will continue to bring forth his purposes and his work until the day of Jesus Christ. As I paraphrase what Paul would say in Philippians chapter 1. 
And to that, I have uh, all kinds of anticipation and excitement about the new chapter that is unfolding for Johnson Street. That may, and in fact, it will mean uh, challenges, yes. It will mean growth spurts, yes. It will mean adapting and, and making changes and saying no to some things and saying yes to others. All of that is true as it's true for all of our lives. And yet in all of it, I believe that God is it doing good things here. Vicki and I have come to love Johnson Street. We've come to love her wisdom, her ministry, her witness to the gospel, her love and devotion to um, the ministry and life of, uh, of, this, uh, of this church, of its members, and her love for the stranger. And you've welcomed us uh, into our hearts, and Vicki and I hold uh, Johnson Street in a very special place in our hearts. And so, in this last word that I have to say to you this morning, what do I say? We've got a text from the Gospel of Mark, and I want to work with that text this morning. But I think what I could say to you this morning could be just simply this, to always keep the main thing to be the main thing, to listen to Jesus, and to say yes to the call that God makes in your hearts. In fact, I think that's exactly what we might be finding here in this, this text from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, the text I wrote, read a, a few moments ago, where six days later we find uh, Jesus with three of his disciples, Peter and James and John, and they're now up on top of a mountain. And the six days later helps us a little bit because it reminds us that uh, the last time we found Peter doing something, he got, him, he, he got himself in a world of hurt. Most of you are Bible students. You remember what just happened. That Jesus began to teach about his suffering and death, that he would be uh, arrested and uh, suffer many things and be crucified at the hands of the chief priests and elders in Jerusalem. And uh, Peter wants to deny that. He, he has a word to say to, to Jesus. This is not going to happen, he tells Jesus. And Jesus has to rebuke Peter. Do you remember the stern words of, of Jesus to Peter? Get behind me, Satan, he tells him, for you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Uh, Peter got himself in a world of hurt with Jesus. But here we are, six days later, and I can only imagine that Peter has kind of kept his mouth shut for six days. He's just kind of been holding back a little bit because he knows the last time he said something, he got himself into deep doo-doo. And here we find ourselves up on the mountain and uh, we have this remarkable experience. Jesus is transfigured. Now, I hope that you talked about that in Sunday school class because I don't know what it means. Maybe your, your Sunday school teacher told you this morning what it means to be transfigured. But all we know is something special happened and he begins to glow whiter than white. No one could bleach clothes as white as Jesus stood there. A glow with power and glory. And in the midst of that, two Old Testament heroes show up, Elijah and Moses, and they're having a chat together. There they are talking, and Peter has kept his mouth as shut as long as he can bear to do it. And here we go. 
right? Here we go. Now, he starts off pretty good. Rabbi, that's pretty good. Teacher, he, he recognizes who's the teacher here in uh, the situation. And then he says, it's good for us to be here. Well, that's, that's, that's nice to say. He's saying something positive for once. It's good to be here. And then he just jumps right in there and does it. He says, well, let's, let's make some booths. Let's make some little uh, shrines here. Let's make a little, uh, uh, little objects to, to commemorate this great moment. Let's just kind of linger in the glory of this re- remarkable moment where we've got Elijah and Moses and Jesus all here gathered up together. And in the middle of all of that, I think we find Mark recording this for us for the very reason that he uh, meant to, and that is to bring us to this clear space to ask, what does it mean for us to keep the main thing the main thing? Peter still hasn't got it yet. Peter is too eager to speak. He's too quick to minimize things. Peter has not learned that being Christian is not, first of all, doing things, doing things for Jesus. It's first of all, letting Jesus speak and letting, uh, and then following and being obedient to the things that Jesus has to say to us. Peter's not like most of us, I think. He wants to do something good. He wants good things to happen. He recognizes that there are bad things going on in the world. There's trouble afoot, but we want to do something good. But doing something good is not always the right thing. Even when doing something good is done in the name of Jesus. We need to be careful of thinking that it's always about doing the good thing. The good things without paying close attention to the Lordship of Jesus Christ can get us into bad places. In fact, the church has always struggled with this. And this is why I think this is a good word for me to live, uh, offer to you today as a church. These two, two things are at work in this text. And, uh, and those two things are dangerous places for us as Christians, both then and now. The first of those things is that we can, uh, like Peter, get a little nervous about uh, coming down off the mountain, uh, we, want to, we want to avoid the cross, frankly. Let me explain a little more. The, uh, throughout church history, this story of the transfiguration is often reflected upon by church fathers and others about the reluctance that Peter had to come off of the mountain and back down to the valley and on their way to Jerusalem. Because what's going to happen in Jerusalem if Jesus' words mean anything? It means the cross, right? It means suffering and loss. It's much better to stay up on top of the mountain and and build some nice tabernacles up there and live in the peaceful places of the mountains. How many of you go to Colorado? All right. I I don't like in the summers, I I love going to Colorado in the summer, right? I love to be up about 10,000 feet. I love being up up at a place called Bear Lake with my fly rod at 11,000 feet fishing and it's about 63 degrees 
right in the summertime, in July. You know what I'm talking about? I don't want to come back from Colorado, back to Abilene or San Angelo, Texas, where it's 107 in the shade, right? We don't like to come off the mountain because it's back to reality. And reality for Peter, for Jesus, and for us is a path that leads us through dark places. It's much nicer just to stay up there. That's why Origen would say that that Peter tried to turn Jesus away from the dispensation whose characteristic was suffering that brought salvation to men, as if calling upon him to no longer condescend to men and come to humankind, but to abide up on a high mountain with Moses and Elijah. That's what Mark is trying to get us to see through this whole block of material. You've looked at it at Sunday school this morning. That's why as they come down off the mountain in this narrative beyond what I just read, that we find that that Peter and James and John asking Jesus about all this and come to find out that that John the Baptist was sort of a precursor or a a postcursor, as it were, to to Elijah, and that, that Elijah had to suffer, John the Baptist had to suffer, and guess what? The Son of Man will also suffer. It's why as when we get down to the bottom, back down into the valley, that we're right back into the thick of trouble. Trouble, sin, brokenness, heartache, broken homes and busted up uh, uh, health. We meet up with a man, a family that's got a little boy who's demon-possessed and the other disciples can't handle the situation. They've not figured out what it means to enter into the brokenness of humankind. And that's why Jesus will finally interpret the reason why they were not able to heal the boy is that you've got to pray about this. You you get the point? To pray with someone is to enter into their brokenness and walk alongside them. For me to pray for you means that I come alongside you and walk through your dark night of the soul. For me to enter into life with others and suffer as Jesus means that I get to walk along uh, that pathway that leads through the valley of the shadow of death. You see, one of the things that we can easily seek to avoid in our world today is to avoid dealing with anything dark or anything broken or somehow or another avoid the brokenness in our own lives or the brokenness in lives of others and avoid the, the very thing that saves us, the cross. Simply to, I encourage you, church, the cross to cling, as the old hymn says. A second dimension that's playing out in this text that uh, I think is a word for us, and it is a word that says that Jesus is the one that we need to pay attention to. It's nice that Moses and Elijah are there. It's nice to think about three uh, little tabernacles or booths built uh, for these three great heroes of the Bible. But actually, there's only one that deserves our attention. It is very easy for us to get on a roll and think that somehow or another uh, that we can follow Jesus and then sort of make stuff up as we go along. And that's what Peter was doing when he opened up his mouth out of his fear and nervousness and spouted off this notion about building tabernacles or booths. It's the same thing that's happening throughout this whole chapter as you studied this morning in Sunday school. Uh, They're on their way after this incident 
uh, and uh, the disciples get into a little fuss. And they're not debating about who's going to win the World Series, the Dodgers or the Astros. No, no, no. They're debating as shamefacedly as it comes to find out who will be the what, church? Who will be the, who will be the greatest? And Jesus has to kind of correct them on this point. And then right after that's the next episode where John announces to Jesus, uh, comes in one day and says, Hey, guess what, I did, what we did, Jesus? We found somebody who was casting out demons in your name when we said, Stop it, because they're not one of us. Do you see what's happening? It's sort of this notion that uh, now that we're sort of in, we can sort of make stuff up as we go along. That we can kind of dictate the terms of things. Do you know, do you ever notice this? Do you, you notice that, uh, particularly in this section of Mark, that every time you turn around, the disciples are screwing stuff up, right? I mean, we point this out and we kind of, and here's a bias that I think we've got to get ourselves over. I think as Bible students, we read that and go, those silly disciples, didn't they know who Jesus was? Ha, ha, ha. Do you realize that Mark wrote this after the resurrection? Do you realize that he wrote that not to point out how silly the disciples were, but to point out to his readers and to all time, all of us, how silly we are when we do the same things over and over again to make something other than paying attention to Jesus the center of our lives. And if we're going to get back to making the main thing the main thing, and saying yes to God and yes to Jesus. We have to avoid like the plague, thinking that somehow that we can just make it up however we want to make it up. That's why the response, the positive thing that I want to say, the grace that's in this text for us today, is when the voice speaks from the heavens. Remember the text? Out of the clouds, a voice speaks and says, this is my son, my beloved one. Listen to him. Pay attention to Jesus. Pay attention to the one who invites us and calls us forward. What does it mean for us to realign ourselves and pay attention to Jesus? What would that look like for us to pay attention to Jesus? It means, paying, it means uh, taking that and making that the priority for our lives. It means listening to Jesus up on the mountain when we're in the glorious spaces of worship or reflection and devotion. It means paying attention to Jesus as we come down along the mountainside and we have those kinds of conversations like Jesus and Peter and James and John did as we learn more deeply what it means to follow him. It means paying attention to Jesus in our prayer life and our work life as we engage in the ordinary aspects of living our lives in the midst of brokenness and darkness. It means we have to train ourselves to pay attention to Jesus. Some of you met our oldest daughter, Leslie, who's come down with us some over the last year, year and a half. She's now living, uh, she bought a home and she's uh, all settling in and she, she got a dog. She got a rescue, rescue dog, actually from San Angelo. Uh, somebody around here didn't want a dog and she, it's now in living in Abilene. Uh, it's a, a beautiful uh, collie, uh, but the collie, the dog, uh, whose name now is Aubrey, 
Uh, and that's part of what I'm trying to tell you, want to tell you about this story is this dog had been a part of a, a raid on some folks who had been abusing animals. Uh, I, I think there was probably some, uh, uh, some, uh, 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 some betting on some uh, cockfights and some other things happening in San Angelo. Not that that would happen in San Angelo. But, uh, but anyway, a bunch of dogs got pulled in. Well, this dog is six, seven years old, and we don't think it had ever had a name given to it. It, it does not re- did not recognize that a human voice is something you pay attention to. And if you know about collies, you know that that is really weird because collies love people and want to please people like hardly any other breed does. So, uh, so uh, it's been interesting because Leslie's been away this past week and we've had Aubrey at our house. I, I thought I was through with uh, kids and dogs, but we, we had it. Uh, but Aubrey, uh, bless his heart, he's learning. He's learning his name. He knows that when I say Aubrey, he turns his head. Now, how's that? Ha- well, he's been trained. We've been working hard. Lots of treats. Treats are the trick. Uh, but he's learned to pay attention when his name is called. And church, what I'm saying is we have got to constantly train ourselves to pay attention to when God speaks to us. And when we are reminded that Jesus is present in our lives. And that our, the call in our lives is to follow him to listen to him, to respond to his lead, not for us to go off half-cocked, thinking that we're going to save the world somehow or another with our politics and our agendas and our Facebook posts and the way we treat our neighbors, and on and on and on it goes. No, what we've been invited to do is to pay close attention to the voice of Jesus. And when Jesus uh, comes to be a part of us, it begins to alter the way in which we behave. Fred Craddock tells this story. It's actually a story told earlier by a missionary by the name of Oswald Golter, who back in the 30s had been uh, driven out of China when uh, as uh, as uh, the Nazi power began to evolve and move and things began to have a great deal of turmoil in the 1930s in China. And he's making his way back to the United States. But he got to India, and there uh, he uh, was there for a few weeks, and, and there he bumped into a bunch of Jews who had been pu- being pushed out of uh, Central uh, Europe in Germany, uh, who were hiding. They were hiding for their lives. And he, he found them on a Christmas Eve in a barn, hiding. And uh, as Golter tells the story, he goes in and says to this assembly of folk, he says, uh, these Jews, he says, what, what do you want for Christmas? And they're like, Christmas is not our thing. But uh, they finally said, boy, we sure would love to have some German pastries like we used to have back home. So Golter, this is kind of a tall order. You're in India. You're not going to find European pastries in India. But he, he sells his ticket takes the money, he finds a shopkeeper, he buys pastries and breads made in the European style and uh, gathers them all up and gives them to these Jews. He wires, gets some more money to buy a ticket and he makes his way on home. Well, 
After the war, Golter was telling the story, as he recounts, and said that he was telling the story in one place and somebody shouted out in the, uh, the crowd, said, why, are you, why were you doing that for Jews? They don't believe in Jesus. And Golter said, ah, but I do believe in Jesus. And my belief in Jesus is what shapes my actions. My yes to God church that's what i'm inviting you into today to say yes yes to following a jesus that goes to the cross to say yes to a jesus that is lord over everything and demands all of our attention him and him alone will you say yes to him let me close with this prayer by walter brueggemann and then we're going to stand and sing listen to this prayer by this old testament professor He says, you are the God who is simple, direct, clear with us and for us. You have committed yourself to us. You have said yes to us in creation. You said yes to us in our birth, yes to us in baptism, yes to us in our awakening of the day. But we are of another kind, more accustomed to perhaps or to maybe or we'll see We're left in wonderment and ambiguity. We live our lives not back to your yes, but out of our endless uh, perhaps. So today, we pray for your mercy that this day that we might live yes back to you. Yes with our time. Yes with our money. Yes with our sexuality. Yes with our strength and with our weakness. Yes with our neighbor. Yes and no longer perhaps. So in the name of your enfleshed yes to us, even Jesus, who is yes into your future, we pray this prayer. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.